our children, sixth grade and down, to kids' crew, you can head to my left, your right, and we'll gather around here, and they'll go upstairs for a time of worship just for them. And as they are headed that way, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 8. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you today, we have Bibles scattered throughout the sanctuary and pews in front of you, and you can grab one of those. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. We're continuing on with the sermon series that uh, Michael's been preaching through, a people with a mission, looking at the early church and the apostles and the mission of the church, which is also the mission that we have today as the church. And you know, maybe you've never had this experience, but maybe you have. Have you ever looked at the Bible, read through the Bible, especially like a book like Acts, where you've got the apostles and you've got Peter and and Paul, and, and, and these guys who are doing just incredible things. And you read those things, and you, and you just think, I, I, I could never do that. Sometimes I look at that, it's almost like I'm looking at, like, you know, a book of superheroes or celebrities, and just thinking, that's so unattainable. And oftentimes, there's a disconnect between the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and of the lives of those that we read in the Bible, because we think, well, I can never do that. Those guys are like super Christians. In fact, Paul even called them like super apostles. He used terminology like that because he felt, you know, Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, who, who traveled all throughout the ancient world, discipling people, starting churches, and he said, I'm the least of these guys. And for us, there can be a disconnect between that because we think that's not who we can be. That, that's not, I, I can never measure up to that. But the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit who worked in the lives of these people in the early church is the same Holy Spirit working in the lives of us today, in the lives of Christ followers today, working in the church right here in Chickasha, Oklahoma. And I want us to see that today, that the same Holy Spirit that we read about, the same work that's going on in the early church, happens today. And we're going to see in this chapter, in chapter 8, three distinctives of the mission of a people with a mission when they follow the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this. We've got three sections that we're going to look at in chapter 8, three instances, three stories and we're going to see distinctives out of these that help us to see that. So let's start with first Acts chapter 8. We're going to read first verses 4 through 8. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that, they, that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Now, just 
a quick refresh, recap from last week or in chapter 7. If you remember, Stephen, one of the deacons, the first deacons of the church, he was martyred. He was martyred for his faith. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, was doing ministry in the city of Jerusalem, and the religious leaders took him, and he went before them, and he shared the gospel very passionately. They became very angry, took him to the edge of the city, and killed him, and they stoned him. And after Stephen's martyrdom, which Saul was a a key figure in, he began to persecute the church. And it says, if you look back in the beginning of chapter 8, that he was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So the church was facing a persecution and they began to scatter. This is a new chapter for the church. They've been in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes after Jesus leaves. They've been in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes and powers these men and women and a great movement happens. The church begins and things are incredible. And they start to grow and they grow every day and then they appoint these deacons and then Stephen is martyred. And that begins a new chapter because then they start to go out from Jerusalem. They scatter out and they go out into the rest of the world. Now Jesus had instructed them to do this. Acts chapter one, verse eight said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So already this was gonna be the plan. Now, Life in Jerusalem was not perfect, but the church was thriving there. They, I mean, they were having an incredible time. They were living life together. They were growing, but they had to go out. The final mission was not to make a great church in Jerusalem and make it grow big, but the, the, the mission was to go out to the rest of the world. Now, we're, we're not really sure. Luke doesn't reveal, the author of Acts doesn't reveal if the church was staying in Jerusalem or if they just hadn't gone out yet. No matter what the case is, Stephen's martyrdom pushes the church out and it scatters them out. Whether or not that that they were doing that on their own already or not, it still, it forces the issue. So this terrible event when Stephen is killed, God uses this evil act of men as a way to help scatter the church and push them out into the world. And it was Stephen's, it was Stephen's, sacrifice and and his heart to reach people that helped push out the gospel and have uh it gave philip this motivation to go into samaria now we'll hear more about samaria in a moment but you see here philip is going out and he goes into this area called samaria now the first thing we want to see the first distinctive of a people with a mission is a people with a mission scatter after they gather. That's the first thing we're going to see here. We see this in this uh, short passage in Acts that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip's going out, and so the church does not stay in one place. Yes, they're growing. Yes, they're thriving, but they don't stay there. Now, when Philip goes to Samaria, uh, this, is, this is quite significant, and we don't want to miss it. Philip's just not going to the next stop down the road, okay? Um, for the Jewish people, Samaria was not a place that they liked to be. They didn't like Samaritans, okay? This is where Samaritans were from. If you've ever heard 
stories of the gospel, Jesus talked about Samaritans a lot. He used Samaritans in his parables. He talked to a Samaritan woman in John chapter four. Uh, This was something that was part of Jesus' teaching that shocked a lot of people because Samaritans were not well liked by the Jewish community. This goes way back in history when if you read through the books of Chronicles and Kings, you see that the kingdom of Israel splits and there's 10 tribes that go north and there's two tribes that stay in the south. And the tribes that go to the north, they form Israel. They eventually are taken over by the Sumerians and conquered and the Jewish bloodlines become uh, mixed in with other ethnicities. And so for, for the Jews in Jerusalem, they did not like that. They did not appreciate that at all. And so Samaritans were looked down upon. And when Jesus would talk about them, this was very shocking to cross those boundaries. And then when Philip now takes the gospel into Samaria, this is equally as shocking. He's going into a place that would have been very, I mean, it would not have been something that a Jewish person would have thought, this is what we're gonna do. But he goes there and he takes the gospel to them. Now, uh, these few verses set the stage for where the church and the apostles are now going. They are scattering into the world to take the gospel to all peoples, to everyone. It's for everyone. It started with their church, but they did not stay inside their bubble. They scattered, they dispersed, they deployed. Now, notice what verse Eight says. This is really significant. Philip, again, he's scattering. They've gathered, now they're scattering. And notice what verse 8 says. So, that word so, it's a simple word, right? This is what we look at in Greek. If you're looking at the grammar and syntax, And I know when I said the word grammar, 75% of us just clenched up in some kind of like, oh, you know, grammar, like, oh my gosh. But this word so is what's called a logical conclusion. It means that everything before this is kind of funneled down into this. So, because Philip scattered, because he was going to take the gospel into a place that wasn't well liked, into a... Um, a difficult situation into Samaria. So there was much joy in that city. That is significant. That is big. Because what would have happened if Philip had not done that? Can you think of what that city missed out on or would have missed out on had he not scattered if they would have just stayed in Jerusalem? The gospel brings joy to a lost and broken world. How can we keep inside the church that? How can we keep that to ourselves? A people with a mission scatter after they gather. And as the church today, we must follow the command of Christ and the example of the apostles. We must scatter. We gather here, we're here today on Sunday, but we must scatter away from this place. Not in a scared way, we're not scattering like, um, like, like we're afraid of anything, but we're going out, we're dispersing, we're, we're deploying into the world. 
we must do this. He doesn't call us just to come into the church and become better people. We're called out into the world in his name. Picture it in this way. What if we considered for a moment the army or, or, or anyone like that that gathers together? The army recruits people. And what, what if they did that and they took people and they, they, they put them into training or they, or they got them on base and they just stayed there? Would that be very effective? Would that be accomplishing the mission of the army? No, we would think that was very pointless. But our mission is no different. We're not called to come in here and keep everything inside of these walls. We're called to go out. We're called to scatter. That's the first thing. The second distinctive that we're going to see in the next section is a people with a mission Surrender to the Holy Spirit, not selfishness. Okay, let's, let's continue on. We're going to continue on 8, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued, excuse me, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given to the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. And when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, as we look at the second distinctive here, a people with a mission surrender to the Holy Spirit, not selfishness, we see this recording here of Simon and Peter and John, and it helps us to see these things in action. Simon, the magician, is a man who he loves, you can tell it, he loves the spotlight, right? Okay, he does, uh, I'm not really sure what magic was like back in the first century, you know, if, if he was doing some sort of card tricks or something like that. But whatever he was doing, you know, he was the David Blaine of the first century, but whatever he did amazed people. He was able to, I mean, from the least to the greatest, 
People thought he was something. And he even said, I'm something, right? He was one of those kind of guys. And so um, people even attribute Simon's powers with the power of God. That's how confused the people were about the truth of the Lord. But when Philip arrives, comes into Samaria, he arrives with the message of Jesus, the people begin paying attention to him instead because they see the truth, the gospel. It brings them joy. They see what's been the truth behind all the lies that people like Simon have been feeding them. Luke records that they're baptized, and even Simon believes and is baptized. And he says, actually, he continued with Philip, which probably means that Simon was going along with Philip, right? Simon's the guy, he wants to be out in front of everyone. He wants the attention. So as Philip is preaching the gospel, Simon wants to go along with him. And at first glance, this seems like, oh, this is great. You know, a a guy of great influence believes and is baptized. Um, But, you know, we have to keep reading the whole story. And, And we just did that, where we see Peter and John coming down because reports are coming back to Jerusalem about what's going on in Samaria. So they send Peter and John to lay hands on the people who are coming to know Christ, and so they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to pause here for just a minute, okay? Um, this section of this story is something that actually uh, is very complex. It raises a lot of questions, and, um, and maybe you've got those right now. But we have to ask and talk about why do Peter and John lay hands on someone to receive the Holy Spirit? Because we don't really do that now. That's not our practice. And a lot, this is a section of the Bible, one of those sections that gets discussed a lot. And a lot of questions go around it. Um, why did Peter and John need to lay their hands and pray for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit? Is this a prescriptive pattern for all believers? So what's going on here? So let's talk just for a moment because... You know, we only have a few moments here together to talk about this, but I do want to lay out a few things that we do know about this passage just to help clarify where we are, okay? Exactly. This occurrence is... <laughs> someone agreed with me. They're great. No one else was, was giving me any feedback, and that was awesome. So uh, I'm just glad to know everyone's with me, right? Are we good? Okay, because... We're kind of trudging through the heavy stuff just for a little bit, okay? But we have to, we have to make as, everything as clear as we can. This occurrence is not a regular pattern for the Holy Spirit, okay? We see this a few times in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes on someone because they've prayed and laid their hands on them. However, we don't see it every time. So we can't definitively say this is how it has to be for everyone because it's not every time. Also, the entire work of this book that we're in, Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, its focus is on these men who are leading the church. And so sometimes the stories are different because even though the same Holy Spirit is working within them as, as who works within us, there are things that happen within their lives that are different because of the setting that they're in. So, for instance... This is taking place, again, remember what I said about Samaria and the way that Jews feel about Samaritans. Well, it's actually reciprocated by the Samaritans, right? The Jews don't like them, and they don't like the Jews either. So when 
Jewish, when these apostles coming from Jerusalem to bring the gospel, there's going to be some tension there because of what's been going on throughout history. And this act, when Peter and John come down to lay hands on these people who are being baptized, both men and women, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, it helps to bring everyone together under the leadership of the apostles. It's not about what their ethnic background is, but it's about bringing everyone together. It shows their authority. It also just shows that we're all a part of the same spirit. It also establishes their authority in what they write. Because remember, these apostles are going to be writing to the churches and to the new believers the scripture that we read week in and week out. And when they see that their authority, it helps establish their authority for when Peter sends a letter to Christians out into the world, they realize that, man, Peter, he's someone sent by God. He's an apostle. Okay, so that's where we are with that. That's just a little aside, trudging through it. Is everyone with me still? Are we okay? Okay, good. We're going to move on then. If you have any questions, just be sure and write it down, and they'll be answered in four to six weeks, I promise, okay? Um, so moving on, we've seen now Peter and John, they come and they lay hands on the new believers so they can receive the Holy Spirit. And they do. But then we see Simon, the magician, the guy who wants attention, who loves it. He thinks he's a great man. He wants in on this as well. He's been with Philip, right? And he wants this same power. And then he offers money to Peter and John for it. He thinks that his money can buy anything. Peter gives him a sharp rebuke, showing Simon and us as the reader that his heart is not really in the right place. We don't know if when Simon was baptized, if he really believed genuinely, if he was really changed or not. Maybe he was. Maybe he's just really immature and and is not quite where he needs to be yet. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was going through the motions because he saw the church, he saw the ministry of Philip and the gospel as a tool to, to bolster his own name, his own reputation, something for him. His selfishness. No matter what the case, whether or not he was a, a transformed disciple of Christ or not, Simon was following his selfishness and not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Paul and Peter and John to Samaria, but Simon was following what he wanted. The mission for him was about making himself better and building himself up. Now, do you know that we can fall into that same trap? I can. You can. We all can fall into that same trap when the ministry of the Lord, when our mission becomes about following ourselves, our own selfishness, our selfish desires, and not following the Holy Spirit. But our real mission, the mission that we're called to be on, is surrender to the Holy Spirit. Our selfishness can take on many forms, okay? If we want to illustrate this, if we want to think about what does this look like to surrender to our selfishness? Well, you may be serving in the church today. Maybe you were here this morning and you're teaching or you're helping at a door or doing something else to serve in the church, but you're doing that really out of just, maybe it's guilt that drives you and you're just trying to feel better about yourself. Well, I'm serving, so this, this helps me feel better. I'm, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, you know, 
It's for you. It's building yourself up. Maybe you're doing it for attention, like Simon was. Now, maybe you're not serving, though, and your selfishness is, well, I don't want to give up my time, or I don't want to wake up a little bit earlier, or fill in the blank. My time, my resources, I want to go do this instead of serving the Lord. That's when we follow our selfishness and not the Holy Spirit. And maybe finally, the Holy Spirit's calling you and you're just saying, no, nope, just not going to do it. We are called to surrender. A people with a mission surrender to the Holy Spirit, not selfishness. All right, finally, the last part of this chapter, we see that a people with a mission share the good news in God-given opportunities. Let's move on. We're going to continue on looking at Philip in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. That phrase, this is a desert place, it's easy just to kind of zip past that. But that's in there for a reason. It's not just a connecting phrase. It's showing that the Holy Spirit has called Philip to go somewhere. That's not really, makes a whole lot of sense. It's like, hey, go take a walk where no one else is. And Philip, he does that, right? Okay. So just sometimes those things we can miss, but don't miss the fact that God was calling Philip to go somewhere that wasn't normal, but he goes. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, the Ethiopian, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azosis, and he passed through, excuse me, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. 
So we see here, a people with a mission share the good news and God-given opportunities. God calls Philip to go out into a desert place because he's giving, he's putting Philip in an opportunity to share the gospel. He's leading him to where the Holy Spirit is working. And he encounters this man from Ethiopia. He's reading through Isaiah. He doesn't really understand what he's reading. There's a lot that we can see here, but don't miss the importance of studying the Bible, of studying the scripture. Because Philip doesn't just have this pre-canned share the gospel presentation to share with him. He, he tells him how the Bible is always pointing to Jesus. And when he does that, he, he's, he's filling in these gaps for the Ethiopian. And when, when he realizes that, he's ready to give his life to the Lord. He says, there's some water. How come I can't just get baptized right now? And he does. And then Philip, he's gone. He's in that moment where that guy was going down the road in a desert place. He's not in a crowded market. He's not going to this guy's house, just in the middle of a desert place. And he finds someone who needs to know the gospel. He's ready to share. Philip is ready to share. Because Philip knows Christ and how God has worked through history to prepare for Jesus, he knows what the good news is. And because Philip has scattered, because he's gone out and he's surrendered to the Holy Spirit, he's following where the Holy Spirit's going. He's not following his selfishness. He's following the Holy Spirit. He's scattered. He's surrendered. Then he's ready to share. He's ready in that moment to share the good news. We must be ready to share the good news. As we scatter, as we surrender, we must be ready to share. Now, I want to share a story with you that happened in my life. And it takes about 15 years. So how much time do we have? All right. <clears throat> about 15 years ago, I was late for work. Um, I don't remember exactly why I was late to work, but I, I, do, I do remember that I, like, I wasn't feeling good that morning and I got up kind of late and I got out the door later than normal. Uh, Courtney and I were in this apartment and this apartment was on like this kind of a hill side of part of Ada that was, you could like walk down the hill from one apartment to the next. And I walk out my door and there's a friend of mine from high school. And this has been, I don't know, six years or so since high school. And he's just walking by my apartment. I haven't seen him for about six years. I'm like, hey. And he goes, hey. And, you know, we just kind of exchange pleasantries and uh, I don't know, I, I felt compelled by the Spirit to go a little bit deeper with him and talk to him about his spiritual life. We were friends, and, but we never had really had that conversation. I think he knew where I stood in high school, but again, hadn't shared the gospel with him ever. So I said, hey, come by my office later and we can chat some more. So he does, and I share the gospel with him, and he says he wants to follow through with that. Um, and he hangs around our ministry for a while at the church, and um, he's there with us, and he's, you know, we as uh, a college ministry are investing in him. But then after some time, uh, he, he's gone. He, he moves on. I can't remember if he moved away or just stopped coming, but um, and then we just have some time, and we don't ever really see each other again. Uh, he g went off and started a family and, and worked, and uh, that was it. 
as far as I knew. But then uh, about six or seven months ago, I had a phone call on my phone, obviously, that <laughs> it would have been really weird had it not been my phone, but the story isn't that, that crazy. Still, you guys probably get phone calls from numbers you don't recognize. Does anyone answer those anymore? Okay. By now, we're trained not to answer the phone numbers we don't recognize because it's usually Rachel from Card Services trying to get us to re-up our student loan forgiveness, debt retirement help from the tech line. So I did what any good American does and hit the red ignore button when I saw the number I didn't recognize. And uh, my cell phone number is still, like I haven't changed it since I got it back uh, in 2001. So it's the same number. Uh, I got it in ADA. So I get phone calls from ADA a lot, but it's not really ADA. It's, again, Rachel who's selling me credit cards. So I hit ignore, and uh, a little bit later, the vo- a voicemail pops up, which isn't, again, abnormal with um, robocalls either. And so I just kind of ignored it. But I checked it later on just to see who what robot voice I was going to listen to. But it was my friend. It was this guy. And uh, he had run into another friend of mine, got my number, and called and left me a message. And it was a pretty lengthy message. But he had said that he had made some really poor decisions in life. And, uh, well, I called him back, and he told me the same thing again that he'd said on the message. And he just said that he lost his family. Uh, to some, some decisions he made. He spent some time in, in, in prison. And it was there that he encountered some guys that really brought the gospel to him. And he said to me, you know, back then, I thought you were stupid. I thought all the Christians were stupid. But you were nice. We were friends. So I was being friendly and just played along. But then when I got into the situation that I was in, and I was in prison, and my family was gone, and these men shared the gospel with me, it all made sense. And now he was out, and life is still hard for him, but now he was sharing the gospel with other people. That was really encouraging to me. 15 years that this had been. And I'm not saying, like, this isn't like a look at me, brag on me thing. Because really, I look back and I think, man, I didn't really look into, he was fooling me the whole time. But I was late that morning. Normally, I would have been out the door 30 or 45 minutes before that. But God had an opportunity. He, gave, he, he had a moment in place that put me in his path, the people that, was, that were in my ministry at the time in his path. And then it followed him even through his difficult journey. Now, I wish I could tell you that every moment of my life, (laughs) I've been ready in the God-given opportunities to share, but I haven't. Sometimes I've said no. One time, so, okay, good story and then not so good story. One time, I was sitting next to a guy while I was getting my oil changed, and I, much more clear than with my other friend, God was telling me, you need to share the gospel with this guy. He's just sitting next to you and you're just not doing anything. This was before you could have a phone that you could 
not look at someone next to you. You know, this was, you had to actually make eye contact with people and things like that. So um, I just felt the Lord and I just resisted. And this guy looked at me as he was getting up to leave. He goes, you're going to be okay. Like we hadn't had a conversation. And I feel like God was just like telling me like, you know what, you missed out on this one, but it's okay. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, thank you, Lord. He really looked at me funny after I said that, but no, I didn't. That would have been really funny. I should have done that. That would have been much more, much more epic. But the rest of that was true, not the last part. I wish I could tell you that every story ended, oh, yeah, yeah. I've missed out on some of these God-given opportunities because I wasn't ready to share. I wasn't living myself on mission because I wasn't surrendered to the Holy Spirit and I didn't live like I was scattered. But do you see how these things build, these three distinctives? The scattering led to the surrender to the sharing. Can you imagine how all of this would have been different if the church just would have stayed in the, inside the walls in Jerusalem? Man, things were great. They were having a good time. Can you imagine how things would have been different? How much joy would be robbed of the rest of the world? Where would we be today if they stayed put? The truth is, we are a people with a mission. Just like Philip, just like Peter and John, just like the church in Acts. Okay, we are on that same mission and we have the same Holy Spirit who empowers us. God is creating opportunities for us just like he created for Philip and for the men in Acts. Now, we have to ask ourselves about these distinctives, these three things we saw. Scattered, surrender, sharing. What about my life? Am I on mission? Are we living as people with a mission? We're going to have a time of response, a time of invitation. When you have a chance to, in this moment right here, ask the Lord, respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's time for you to surrender, to scatter. Maybe it's time for you to share. Maybe God is calling you today to some place you know you need to serve. He's calling you to serve. You've been resisting it. You've been following your own selfishness and not surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you know that you're here and, and this is my church. This is where I need to plug in. Our family needs to be a part of this church and help and be a part of its mission. But we haven't, we haven't made that official. We haven't come and said, you know what? We're gonna join the church and be a part of these people. Maybe today you need to surrender to that. And maybe today you're here and you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're like Simon. Okay, Simon was really just following his own selfishness. He was trying to find a religion, something that would help himself feel better and make him look better in front of other people. And today maybe you're just like Simon. Your whole life you've been just going to church and doing what it takes to feel better about yourself and maybe make people think that you're a good person, but it's been surface level. And today, you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Maybe today, too, there's people that you know that God is calling you to share with. 
God's giving you opportunities and you haven't been following through with on that. And there's someone you need to pray for and say, God, put me in an opportunity to share with this person. Maybe that's you today. Whatever it might be today, know that the Holy Spirit has not changed. He is the same today as he was in what we just read. How will you respond to him? I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes, bow your heads.